for this, ain't we? Tell you what, oh, man. So uh, a couple of things while I'm uh, getting this all ready here. Um, you know, we just song, uh, sang a song, A Place of Freedom. And uh, where's, where's my brother Randy? Randy, where are you at? I can't. Uh, Randy, you know the Randy that I'm talking about. Stand up. Stand up so I can see you. Come on. There we go. See that man right back there? It's one of my friends. His name's Randy. Came to me last week, and he said he's been struggling with some identity, and, and the devil's been telling him a lot of lies. And, uh, and we started uh, calling those lies out, and today he said uh, he asked God to forgive him, and today he forgave himself. And that's a tough thing to do. God's got big plans for that man right over there. I love you, Randy. You know, I love when God is doing things, right? I mean, when you start thinking about all the things that God has in store and, and what he has in store for your life, and, and, and that's, that to me as a, as a pastor is, is some of the greatest things is when I get to be a part of your life. I hope that you hear me. When I get to hear stories of what God is doing in your life, that's the best part for me. I love teaching God's word, but what beats preaching God's word is when I see what God's word is doing in your life. And that is the most impressive and, and fun thing that's happening. Um, we, I don't know if you know this, but we have a little bit of royalty here. Um, I have a, a junior Miss Queen in our presence. Stand up, little Hayden there. Woo! Your Majesty. And then we have the high school queen in the house. Where's, come on, Angela Konoposik. Great. So, uh. We, but here's, you know what's really amazing, so they, they competed in the little uh, pageant things and stuff like that, and I mean, we had like four girls, so every time they were saying, you know, the daughter, the, you know, the daughter of Daniel, like, well, like, they were like, wow, how many kids do they have? I'm like, well, there's seven, there's seven of them, and four of them are girls, and we just throw numbers at it, you know, like it's, you know, more numbers, the better your chances, so, um, but here's, 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 the, here's the good news, that even better than that, and not to minimize what these young ladies have done, how many of you are bold enough to say, I have accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior? Raise your hand. So guess what? We're all royalty because we're children of God. Amen? So that's just pretty awesome. So we got to, um, I got to let my inner child out um, when we did our, our uh, parade, and I dressed up uh, as Kent, uh, a character that I like to bring out for VBS, and uh, got to run up and down the streets riding a stick horse and with uh, my Bubba Gump teeth, and, and uh, I had little flyers in my overalls, and I was able to, you know, inviting kids to our VBS, and I was uh, the fastest gun of the West, see you at VBS. You get that? That was, that was, that was all original right there. But uh, anyways, so we got, um, look at this, we even got a trophy for our efforts. Uh, I don't know where Scott Drake is, but uh, you know, we did it! We did it! Oh, I'm just, so anyway, so no, uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. We got to go out there, and you know, any time that we get to tell people about Jesus, and, and we get to invite people to church. I mean, one of the things, if, if you think about it, I, I'm sitting here thinking, there's, I've been pastoring for 23 years, and this is this. Because of you and your heart for the Lord, this is the place I want to invite people to. This is the place that I feel safe 
to invite my friends to. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've ran, no matter what your name is, no matter where you've been, all of those things, we don't care. We want you to be here. We want to love you right where you're at. And even if you never change, we love you anyways. So guys, uh, this is... We are so blessed and honored to be a part of this. So guys, we've been doing a, a sermon series called Fighting Fair, and that's an oxymoron on purpose because there is no fair fighting, really, is there? And so the, the, the point of this whole sermon series is that we shouldn't be in a fight. Um, and this is very, this whole series is not just focused on marriage. This is focused, if you have relationships with, if you're a brother or a sister, if you have siblings, if you have a job that you work at, um, the only way this sermon series does not apply to you if you're living in a cave by yourself, but you're probably then fighting with yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So, I'm just going to do a really quick recap um, to get in. Um, the first week we talked about is where does the fight come from? And, um, and the, the big point that I wanted to bring out in our first week looking at this came from James 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Uh, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So basically, I'm in a fight because there's a fight in me. You can't get in a fight with someone, argumentative or otherwise, if there isn't something already battling in yourself. Have you ever realized that? If you, if you, if you're, if you don't have any internal battle whatsoever, you're not fighting with anybody. But when you have some internal struggles going on, and what we've found is that a lot of those internal struggles that we're dealing with is actually we're in a battle with God because we're not doing what he wants us to do. And so we're at war with him. And then anyone who gets in our path, we're at war with them. Um, last week, we talked about stop having the conversation you're not having. Uh, if you missed that, go back and check it out. But uh, we need to start listening to God. And so we gave three pieces of application. And this is so important. Um, if we're going to stop having... So these are the conversations that we basically, when you get in a fight and then you storm out, or you close the door and you go by yourself, then you have that conversation with the person and they're not even actually there. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We all do that. So we want to stop doing that and we need to start listening to God and say, God, give us the words. Um, but we talked about if we want to stop doing that, here's three things that we can do. Assume nothing. Stop making assumptions. How many of your arguments are based on assumptions you've made? You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, the second thing is believe the best in others. All right. If we started believing the best in others and not the worst in others, we would be in a lot better place. And then choose not to be offended. Have you guys really thought about the relevance of this last one? Because this is actually what I'm going to be preaching on today. Take no offense. We're going to be in uh, Luke 17. We're going to look at the first five verses of Luke 17. So um, as we look at this, so we live in a time in history, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but in history right now, there's never been a time where people are so easily offended. Am I right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't hardly do anything without somebody being offended, right? But here's the other thing is, there's never been a time in history where we haven't been more offensive. See, the problem is not just a one-sided thing. Everyone's taking offense at everything, but we're also a lot more bold with our phones and social media, and we are a lot more offensive today. And, and a lot of times, people just don't care how other people feel at all. And so um, it goes both ways. And I started thinking about, well, what causes these offense? And really, it's literally the opposite of what we ended with last week. 
What causes offense is people are assuming everything, believing the worst in everyone, and choosing to be offended. Because here's the deal. Um, offense is going to come. In fact, Jesus in 17, Luke 17, 1, Jesus said to his disciples, it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. It's impossible that no offenses should come. In other words, offense is on its way if it hasn't already knocked on your door. It's coming. See, but here's the deal. It's not a question of opportunity to be offended. It's what your response will be when you're offended. Does that make sense? See, here's the deal is it's coming. You will find yourself offended at what someone says or someone does. It's your response that matters. You cannot live your life avoiding offense. Jesus said it is impossible that no offense comes. The unfortunate fact is that so many are held captive by their offenses. So many people in today's world, they put themselves in a prison and the walls of this prison, the bars of the prison are all the things that they are offended at. Well, I need to set the stage. One of the things that's really important, um, I jumped right into Luke 17, a a no-no right there. We jumped right into this, and we don't even know what the setting is. I did that on purpose. One of the things that, guys, when we read our Bibles, we need to understand this, the setting. And I like calling it setting the stage because I like drama. I like theater. I love movies. And whenever you have movies, it's really easy to help us think about a thing. If you were in charge of a play, one of the things that my wife has done for many years is a Christmas play. Well, you have characters. You have a stage drop. You have all of these different things. So when we read our Bible, we need to try to understand what the stage should look like. So it actually starts in Luke 15. And this is giving us a lot of questions that we're going to answer. The setting of the stage starts in Luke 15. And it says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained. So when we, when we want to set a stage, there's going to be certain questions that we're going to answer. Here's a couple of them. Um, we see right out of the gate, um, we see right out of the gate, who's, who's the one that's going to be doing the speaking? It says this. So he spoke. This is Jesus. So Jesus is the, the primary character. He's the one doing the speaking. To whom is he speaking would be the next question I would ask. Is who's doing the talking? Jesus. Who's doing the listening? Well, you've got... Tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were the most hated people of their time. They got their own bracket. They didn't just get summed into the sinners. It was these terrible people and other terrible people, sinners, right? So tax collectors got their own bracket, their own um, title. Um, we, we called it in Sunday school class this morning an identifier. But here's the deal then. So Jesus isn't just speaking to the tax collectors and the sinners who wanted to hear from him. He was also speaking to the Pharisees and scribes that were complaining about him and anyone who's listening. So then what we would do is then we would ask another, what's the scenario of, of the, the stage. What's the atmosphere that we're dealing with? Well, here's the deal. You have two people groups. One group of people who really want to meet with the Lord and one group of people who don't. 
What does that sound like? Come on, what does that sound like? I don't remember what. Kind of sounds like a church. I mean, right? So, I mean, honestly, it kind of, to me, I, I, I think the setting is, is a little bit like church because in church, we have all different kinds of people. We have different people who have different reasons to be here. Some people go to church. I've been pastoring, I, I, 23 years is a long time, and I'm still a really young guy. I'm going to be able to see a lot more, um, you know, as long as the Lord will allow me to, to, to do his work like this and, and be a pastor. But I, I've been in a lot of churches that were dying, and I know exactly why they were dying is because they were going for the wrong reason. They weren't going to draw near to God. They were going to make sure they maintained their power and control. Um, it was more of a country club than a place of worship. But see, different people have different reasons. Some people say, well, I go to church because I've always gone. Some people will go to church because they feel like it's the right thing to do. Other people will go to church because they think it's going to earn them a spot in heaven. Hmm. Some people go to church... Because they get to put their talent on a stage or in a classroom. They get to be a teacher or a leader. And these seek influence, authority, popularity. They seek to be important. They seek to become leaders. The people that God seeks are those who are coming to draw near to Him. question would be, why do you come? Why do you attend? Are you coming because it's the right thing? I, I've met a lot of parents who come because they want their children to be in church. They want their children to be. What about you? Why do you go why do you, because here's the deal, when we're looking at this setting and everything that's about to happen in the rest of the story from Luke 15 all the way through Luke 17, there's a scenario going on and there's two people groups. There's people who are, who are lost and they are seeking the truth. They're seeking God. They didn't say they weren't sinners. They didn't say they weren't tax collectors. They knew exactly what their past was. They knew exactly what their current behaviors were. And yet, they were, they were coming to draw near to Jesus. And then there were other people who felt like they just owned the place. Well, we're, we're Pharisees. We're religious leaders. This is our place. This is our, we're, we're the leaders and they forgot what it was all about. Kind of a scary scenario when you start thinking about it. What makes me so glad about being the pastor here is that I feel like the majority of those who come here truly desire to draw near to God. And the way that I know that is when we worship, the excitement in people, we'll get excited going into a song and we'll start clapping and hollering and, and hooping. And, and, and that's, that's not the only way, you know, because I grew up in a Mennonite church and my grandma and grandpa worshiped and they weren't wavers and dancers and shakers and movers. But, you know, the thing is, is that you can tell when people are really worshiping, right? 
You can tell when somebody's just here because they're here and they have to be here. And you can tell when somebody's sitting at the edge of their seat going, I want more Jesus. Right? You know what I'm saying, right? And so, so what happens is I'm wanting you to see the setting that's taking place because as we dive into Luke 17, we need to understand that, hey, it's a scenario much like we see in today's world. We see people who are truly seeking God no matter what's going on in their life or maybe how they've been identified by their past. But we also see a group of people who should know better. That they should know better. They shouldn't be treating. They shouldn't be complaining about the things that they're complaining. So, let's get back to Luke 17. All right, so Luke 17, it says this. He said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him to tie, uh, if a millstone were hung around his neck, a millstone is like a cinder block. Okay? Hung around his neck and thrown into the sea. Now, if you, were, if you had a big, heavy cinder block tied around your neck and it was thrown into the sea, would you be able to stay above the water? No. You may, may for a few minutes, but it won't last long. It's a pretty hard statement that Jesus is making. First thing, though, I want to bring to our attention is this. Offenses will come. It's how you respond to it. It's, you're you're going to find yourself offended by what people say and do, even in the church. And, and sometimes, especially in the church, it's sometimes I'm, I find it amazing that we can tolerate so many people in our community, but sometimes in our own churches, we're so easily offended. Come on. Right? Oh, you're a Christian, so you should know better. Well, so should you. Don't be so easily offended. Come on. You can't stop it. It's coming. He says it's impossible. Um, And so here's the thing that I found is, uh, unfortunately, so many people leave churches because they've been offended. Maybe that was you in a prior church or a previous church. This is a good lesson for us. People leave churches so quickly because they were offended by something that someone said or, or you know, and here's the deal is, is that, you know, um, sometimes we can, we can find people who are offensive in the church. Here's the deal. The, the church doors, and I'm never going to apologize, this is open to everyone. Everyone's welcome to be here. No matter what. No matter what. But guess what? Hurt people hurt people. Why would I expect a lost person to act like they're saved? I don't want I want them to be exactly who they are. Be, you know, because when you finally do get saved, when that day happens, we're all going to celebrate, right Randy? Woo, come on, right? And so the thing is when that day comes, I, we become a child of God, right? And so what I'm wanting you to understand is that so often we allow these offenses, we allow um, somebody else's behavior to affect us in a way that we don't want to be there anymore. We need to grow up. We need to grow up and not let everyone else dictate how I, I'm not here. I'm not here for anyone else but Jesus. That's why I'm here. I'm here for him. 
So when we start allowing everyone else and what they're doing, let's say that you're sitting here and people are having a, a, a conversation which is very disrespectful, right? And you're trying to listen and you're trying, and that's very distracting, right? So if that's you, stop it. Now, but here's the other thing is I'm not going to let what somebody else does change my reason for being here. I'm here to draw near. See, what, what, what we don't see in this story, which I love, is that they were complaining about the tax collectors and the sinners. And what I love is the tax collectors and the sinners didn't get up because they were offended by how the religious people were acting. I love that. And that's something that we need to take in our own lives is a little bit more of that. So it's really, I want us to, to really focus on how we respond. It's going, and, and I hate that, that we find that, that church people can be so offensive. That's what, it bugs me because it's like we are Christians. We're supposed to walk in love and we're supposed to, 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 to be willing to open the door for everyone. And sometimes we just can be sometimes the most judgmental judgmental and unloving, critical, complaining, argumentative. I don't know what other descriptive words that are negative, but all of that. Slanders, backbiters, gossipers. Like, good grief. Yeah, so here's the deal. So the thing is, is that unfortunately, we have so much of that that happens within the church. Guys, I can't stop that. But here's what we can do, is we can choose not to be offended by all of it. And we can remind ourselves why we are here, and that is to draw near to Jesus. All right, so this offense is a double-edged sword. One, people are very offensive, right? And number two, people are easily offended. So when he says it's impossible for offense not to come, it goes on both sides of this of the sword because on one side, we are so uh, it feels like we live in a generation where we are more offensive. And I think that we also live in a generation where we're so easily to be offended. Sounds like we just need a little bit more maturity. Right? You know, children. We, we, adults too often act like children. All right, so let's keep going. So the first thing I'm, I'm wanting to make sure that we get is that it's impossible for no offenses should come. But the second part is this. He gives a woe. The word woe means how dreadful. <laughs> so, so this is not a positive. He's saying, one, it's impossible that people aren't going to come try to offend you. But woe to him, basically woe to him who's offensive. So church people, listen Listen up really good, because if we are so quickly to offend people that where we're driving people out of church, Jesus speaks some very tough words here. Woe to him through whom they do come. And then he gives us this picture. So woe means how dreadful. So how dreadful for the one who's causing offense. Who do you think he's speaking to? He's speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. He's talking to the religious people who knew better. He's saying, woe to you who keeps offending these little ones. Now, when I started thinking about the word little ones, I highlighted that because I'm like, wow, what does this mean? Because at first glance, I was thinking um, of, of children, 
But he doesn't say young ones, he says little ones. And I start thinking about, well, keeping it in the context. Who's here? He's speaking to tax collectors and sinners and, and his disciples, because they're there, of course, and, and Pharisees and the scribes. Now, does that mean that there's no children there? No. But little ones does not automatic mean, automatically mean children. When you start thinking about little ones, on one side, the Pharisees prided themselves in their education. They prided themselves in their leadership and being respected and authoritative in the church, right? And he's saying these little ones. See, there was little ones, people maybe of littler stature. I remember pastoring a church. I only lasted there nine months. <laughs> True story, nine months. And like, would you please leave? <laughs> we want a pastor, just not you. Um, it was, it was uh, one of the, we called it Lake of Fire Baptist Church after that. It was a nickname between, I probably shouldn't have said that, should I have my bad. Um, anyways, uh, well, it's too late, it's out. So, um, but I remember we went, we, me and I, I, was, I, was, uh, I was a youth pastor and pastor when I, I was pastoring a small church and they couldn't afford uh, a full time of either. So then we just combined the two things. So I had like 30 kids and all of these 30 kids, me and my wife, uh, we're straight out of college. We're just barely older than them. Um, we didn't know what we were doing, but we made a bunch of flyers and we knocked on every door. I mean, we, it was like that was what we, we taught a little bit. And they're like, guys, let's go find some people. Let's, let's build this thing. And the youth were so excited about being a part of something so neat. And uh, I remember one Halloween, we all dressed up like Bible characters, and we went and, and st- so we weren't getting candy. I mean, we, we, we didn't turn the candy away, but we actually, when we went out, we were handing out flyers and little tracks and little things about Jesus. So we, 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 it was kind of like dual purpose. We're already going to go out. Let's go out and knock on every door. Well, anyways, um, I had all my deacons pull me in and like a kid in a principal's office and I remember them saying, well, where, where were you doing all of this? And so I was telling them the neighborhoods that we were going to. And they're like, well, we don't want those people. We want you to go to the other side of town because those people have big houses. And I will tell you what came out of my mouth next was probably why I didn't make it nine months. I said, guys, let me share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ who saves because clearly you're not saved. So it was not my best moment. After that, they're like, "Would you resign?" No, I'm not done. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I did. But but here's the thing: is that what I what I learned about that is that there's a lot of churches that aren't caring for who they're called to care. Who did Jesus care about? He cared about those tax collectors. No one else did, but Jesus did. So here's the deal: Jesus cares about you. He cares about you. He loves you. And so what happens is every person who ever walks through the doors of a church, Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And how dare any of us say they're not welcome. So he says, woe to those. So he's saying to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know what would be better for you, Pharisee? If we just tied a brick onto your neck and threw you in the middle of the sea. Can you imagine saying that to a religious leader? I'll tell you what, the boldness of Jesus, he was so gentle with those who were lost. And he was ready to tie bricks around the necks 
of those people who got in the way of his love. Think about it. That's what they were getting in the way of, his love. Man. So woe to any of us who would get in the way of any of these little ones. And the little ones, I see more of those who were, who were of smaller stature. Maybe they didn't, care, they didn't carry money. They didn't have money. They didn't have popularity. They didn't have authority. They didn't have a, a good job. They didn't have a good house. And what Jesus is saying, you don't get in the way of my little ones. Jesus is way more of a fighter than any of us think of him. Man, I'll tell you what. So, so guys... That's, that's the, he, he gave a woe. So let me put it in this way. In other words, as a church-going Christian, you better not offend a sinner away from drawing near to God. All right? Got it? All right. All right. So what I want to do, um, so I wanted to make sure I, I got that out. I spent a lot of time talking about the church, and I think that that's important because I want it to always, I want everyone to always know what kind of a church this is. If you're looking for a country club, you're in the wrong place. And I'll tell you what, if you're looking for a place for misfits, you're looking for a place that there's hope, you want to find a place where grace and mercy is offered, you want to find a place for salvation, you want to find a place where the gospel is preached and, and, and you, you are loved right where you're at, this is it. So, so here we go, though. So I want to talk about a trap, the trap. So um, th- some of this right now I'm going to share with you comes out of a great, great book called The Bait of Satan. Um, this, it was a book that really focused on how so easily we are offended and, and how to get out of that and how that is a trap of the devil. So, so what I, why I bring that out is that as we are looking at this, pers- uh, this, it says it's impossible that offenses don't come. The word offense is actually a Greek word that, that literally means um, scandalin. And it's an actually the little stick that holds the like in a spring trap. There's a little plate there, and then there's this little tiny stick that holds that from closing. That's scandalin. That's a trap stick. And what happens is what he's saying is the offense is that little stick. So when somebody steps on it, the stick gives way, and the offense happens. So he says uh, so. Two things that you have to have in a trap. For a trap to be successful, it has to be hidden so that the prey actually stumbles in it. You can't make a, a trap obvious to everyone. Um, and here's what so happens is people who are offended, they don't realize, right, that they're even trapped. Have you ever been offended and you didn't even know that you were the one offended, but you were mad at everybody? <laughs> Come on, right? You know what I'm talking about. So sometimes so many people don't even realize that they're already offended. They're so oblivious to their own condition because they're so focused on what somebody else did. Huh? What happens is we lose sight. That's the devil's trap. He says, listen, I don't care that they did you wrong. He loves when somebody does somebody wrong. Then he wants that other person to then do wrong because this person done wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. So um, the second thing a trap needs is to be baited. So that is to entice the prey to come and take a hold into the trap. I already explained what the word uh, scandalin um, means there. Um, that's where the, the, little, the little place, okay? So now here we go. Let's keep going. So offended people bear much fruit. Hurt, anger, outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, hatred, envy, and above all, pride. Pride is, is the root of, of the issue here. 
Because what happens is pride will get in and it will start taking control over different parts of your life. You see, number one, I, I have them all in here. And I didn't do it where I hit all the space bars this time because I'm like, some people are like, you're going too fast and I can't. So I just kept it up there. Pride keeps you from admitting the true condition of your heart. Have you ever noticed that? Somebody, look, I mean, here's the deal. How many of you have been wronged by someone, right? That's all of us, right? Every one of us has been wronged by someone else. If you have an ounce of pride in your life, it will keep you from admitting the true condition of your heart because you're so focused on them and on the wrong done to you. Don't we do that? Pride keeps you from dealing with the truth. It keeps you from dealing with you. Pride keeps saying, hey, that person's the problem. That person, and here's what ends up happening. You will even come to a place in your life where you know you're wrong. I know I'm wrong, but so are they. That's pride. Oh, I know I'm wrong, but not as much as them. That's pride. You see, what pride does is pride gets in the way of healing. Pride gets in the way of reconciliation. Pride gets in the way, and so it keeps you from admitting that you have a heart problem. It keeps you from dealing with the truth, and pride keeps you from view, it keeps you viewing yourself as a victim. Come on, we do that all the time. We, if, if you play the victim card, and you keep allowing yourself to be the victim, you will never have healing. That is why we find ourselves going through the same things. See, even on a church level, on a spiritual level, we can say, hey, I know the truth. I know what I need. I know these things. I know I need to forgive. I know I need to do this. And, you, and, we, and we keep doing it over and over and over. Why do we keep going back? Because we won't let go of being a victim and we won't start being a victor. See, God offers victory. But what happens is a lot of times when we play the victim card, everybody feels sorry for us. So we feel like we're more loved, more appreciated, more sympathized, more empathized. And, 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 and so we want people to feel sorry for ourselves so that we can feel better about ourselves. But in the, re, in the end, it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work at all. It doesn't work one little bit. Victory, I can promise you, is so much better than being a victim. Being a victim is one of the hardest things. See, when you're a victim, you'll blame those who hurt you. You will then begin to justify your bitterness. You'll justify your unforgiveness. You'll justify your anger, your envy, your resentment. And, 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 and as anything comes up in your life, you are going to use that you'll justify it because you won't stop being a victim. And, and I love this. You can only repent after you stop blaming other people. Then you say, well, hold on. They hurt me. What do I need to repent about? But don't you? Think about this. Your anger and bitterness, your unforgiveness. Did you know that when you refuse and withhold forgiveness, you're sinning? Oh, got real quiet. Got real quiet. We don't like to call that a sin. But doesn't God command it? Jesus said that we are to forgive others as he forgave 
us. And he says, if you don't forgive others, then what will he not do? Forgive you. See, that's not a suggestion. It's a command. The moment that I say, God, I'm not forgiving, I'm in sin. So here's the deal. As long as I'm blaming everyone else for my life, I can't repent because I'm still in the middle of sin. So when I can stop blaming everyone else for my life and for everything that's happened to me, then I can finally repent where I let my own heart get. If you keep defending your own position, you will become blind to the true problem. Whew. Now, I want, you, I want to give a real quick reality check, though. As we're talking about offense, do you know where the greatest offense comes? From those who are closest to you. Right? Those who are closest to you hurt you the most. And I want you to know why. Only those you care about can hurt you. You expect more from them. After all, you've given more of yourself to them. Right? And then the higher expectations we have, the greater the fall. This is why marriages struggle so much, is that somebody that we gave so much of ourself to hurts us but then we can't get past victimhood to actually fix the problem. And then now both sides are wrong. Both sides are hurting. Have you guys ever seen that in your own relationships, the closest relationships you have? And if you're a kid, it would be with your parents. Have you ever noticed that in your life? If you're a, 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 a kid, no one can hurt you more than your mom and dad. Right? Husbands and wives, no one can hurt you more than your husband or your wife. So I want to give you three steps to freedom, all right? Out of the same passage. Luke 17.3, he says this, take heed to yourselves. We read verses 1 and 2 multiple times already. Now going to verse 3, the first thing he says is take heed to yourself. <laughs> Deal with you first. Okay, here's what we have such a bad habit of is, is when you've been hurt, right? We, I'm the victim, right? Somebody hurt me. I want to go and fix them, right? And that kind of our, 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 our way of, a, of doing things is that we want to go and fix the other person because they hurt us. Here's the deal. He says, take heed to yourself. You focus on you first. Didn't Jesus, in the, in the great Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be used upon you. Why do you look at, your, at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? He then says, go ahead and remove the plank from your eye, then you can see clearly to help the other person out. We have these planks in our eye, and we're trying to tell everybody about the specks in theirs. He says, take heed to yourself. Woo! Jesus is, he's laying it on, isn't he? First, if you're a, a person who's offending other people, he's like, if you don't stop that, it would be better for you to tie that's not good. Now he's saying, you know what? Here's the deal. You need to take care of yourself first. Take heed. 
the word heed in Greek means be alert, watch out, be on guard. <laughs> He's saying be on guard against yourself. Be on guard against yourself right now. You need to take care of you. Fix that problem first. Well, then here's the second step to freedom. Talk it out. He says this. If your brother, ref- uh, brother sins against you, right, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Uh, everybody goes, wow, all right, rebuke. And we think that this word rebuke, we're going to use that as like, I can't wait to go over them and give them a piece of my mind. Wrong, all right? The, the word rebuke translates to express disapproval. I should be going to somebody saying, man, you hurt my feelings. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm offended. I know that in this life I'm going to be offended, but I want to go talk it out with you. I want us to, can we sit down and talk about this? You said something that hurt my feelings. You said something that bothers me. You did something that hurt me. That's what that's supposed to do. See, here's the deal is, is we should seek to correct the wrong, but only after I've dealt with myself. Okay, But when I do it, the Bible gives us clear instructions in the book of Galatians. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. If you're coming in there in a blaze of glory, you're wrong. You haven't heeded yourself yet. And that's, don't we have that? We kind of do that, don't we? We're like, finally, the Bible says rebuke them. I rebuke you. You know, I mean, come on, you know. It's like, so if someone hurts you, there's two things that we do in this world, in our culture. We either go and give them a piece of our mind. That's wrong. Secondly, or we just like, oh, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm just, I'm not going to deal with this. And then we'll tell everyone else in the world what they did. Huh? Huh? Right? Both are wrong. Both are absolutely wrong. What does the Bible say? Take heed to yourself, one, and then go rebuke them. Go talk to them. Guys, don't quote this like this when you're going to them. The Bible says that I'm here to rebuke you. Just go to your friend. Go to the person that you care about. If, If you don't even have a relationship with them, it's probably not bothering you. But if you have a relationship with you, it's bothering you. Go talk to them as a friend, as a spouse right? Okay. Now I want you to remember something. Hurt people hurt people, right? So if you've not completed step number one, you're only going to hurt people. And guess what you're going to do when you do that? You're going to offend them. And what did Jesus say about those who offenses come? Just saying. The next necklaces that we're going to be wearing are these little bricks walking around. Every time I see you being offensive, I'm going to hand you a little brick on a necklace. Remember. No. So, hurt people hurt people, guys. All right. So, step number three. Forgive the offense. So, it says, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So, the first thing that I want you to understand about this is that it is a command, not a suggestion. He's not saying, hey, um, I'm going to suggest that you do it. It's in, in Greek, it's in the imperative. In grammar, imperatives are commands. He's commanding us to forgive. But I love the definition. Forgiveness, it, in its literal translation in the Greek means let it go. Let it go! Where's all my kids? Okay, they weren't ready. They weren't ready. 
You wasn't ready. So just like the song, let it go. I mean, that's really what forgiveness is. We need to let it go. So forgiveness, uh, in, a, in the Yale, Yale uh, Biblical Dictionary, it says forgiveness is canceling out of an offense. I thought that was very proper. The canceling of an offense. They offended you, I canceled the offense. I'm no longer offended. Okay? Once that forgiveness, the offense can no longer, the condition, it, it, uh, the offense no longer conditions my relationship and opens the door for harmony to be restored, right? So, um, one of the things I, I wrote in here, whoops, go back. Um, one of the things that I, 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 he says this, in this passage, he says, if he sins against you and if he repents, right? What do I do if they don't repent? I mean, that's, if somebody comes up and says, man, I'm really sorry for what I said to you, you're going to be like, well, that was really easy to forgive, right? Usually when somebody really is sincere in their apology, isn't it easy to forgive them? Well, what about when they don't apologize? I said it, and I'm glad I said it, and I'll say it again to you, right? Well, does that mean that I should then walk on my whole life and not, not and withhold forgiveness? Because I, I want to tell you why I'm going to forgive them anyways. I'm going to go and talk to them, and, and nine times, hear me, nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, if I go and tell somebody that they hurt me, they're going to say, man, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, and just like that, I forgive, and we're reconciled, right? Nine times out of ten. But there's one one out of 10, right? That Yahoo that doesn't, you know, and that they don't apologize and they're not sorry for what they did. And here's the deal. You forgive them anyways. And I'm going to tell you why. So it cancels out that offense and you don't walk around being hurt. Your life is way too valuable than you to walk around being hurt all the time because hurt people, exactly. Last piece of the verse. I want you to think, so, so Jesus described all of these things, and then the disciples replied, increase our faith, Lord. <laughs> he says, if somebody comes to you and they sin against you seven times, and then they come back seven times and say, please forgive me, you forgive them. And the disciples in this moment say, Lord, increase our faith. I want you to think about this. Jesus, they have seen Jesus Make the blind see, made the lame walk, he has cleaned lepers, he's raised the dead already two times, he's calmed the storm, he's driven out demons in front of their faces, and he even sent them out with the same authority to heal and to drive out demons and to preach the kingdom of God, and now is the only time that it's recorded in the gospels them asking for faith. When it deals with forgiving. Isn't it amazing? To me, I looked at that and I'm like, because I started scrolling through and I'm, I'm Googling up and trying to find any verses that were, but here is the time that it's recorded. Lord, increase our faith when it comes to forgiving others. And maybe you and I, we maybe know something about that. Isn't it so hard to forgive? So here in this moment, these disciples are saying, Lord, that's hard. You're asking us to forgive somebody who sins against us seven times in a day? Yes. Increase our faith. Help us to do it. You see, here's the thing about a disciple. A disciple wants to please his teacher. 
they didn't want to let Jesus down. I love it. They didn't want to let him down. And they're like, I don't know if I can do that. Have you ever been in a point where you're like, I don't know if I can forgive this person? Right? And so what the disciples are being honest. They're saying, Lord, help us. Give us more faith so that we can do that. I love, I, 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 when I was sitting there and I'm just like, why did they ask for faith? Not why, like I was thinking, God increase our love so we can love that Yahoo, you know? I mean, that's what I'm thinking, but no, because of how hard and difficult. And I want you to see how Jesus replies. And this is my last slide, by the way. So Luke 17, 6, he says, he replied, Jesus says, if you have faith as small. So they said, increase our faith. And he says, I don't need to increase your faith. It's what you do with your faith. You see, he goes, I don't need to make it bigger because the faith the size of a mustard seed. You can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey. He's saying, listen, I don't need to increase it, the, the size of it. It's what you're going to do with it. Will you use your faith in who God is so that you will forgive those who've hurt you, who've offended you, Jesus said in, in Matthew 18, 20, because of your unbelief, assuredly I say to you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will, and look at this, and nothing will be what? He says it's impossible for offenses not to come, but he's also saying that if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, nothing's impossible. So you may th sit here and think, I can't do it. Yes, you can. If you have the faith, if you just believe in Jesus this much, because that's the size of a mustard seed, if you believe in Jesus this much, the person who hurt you more than anyone, you have enough faith to forgive them. You do. And you can do it right now. Right now. When I was sharing with my friend Randy last week, I'm like, why are we waiting why are we waiting? I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about something. It's not just about people who have offended you and hurt you. I'm wanting to give you instructions and teaching, something that you can use the rest of your life, not just for this moment. But here's the deal, is it's not an accident that God gives us a word now for such a time as this. So I want you to think and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to say, God, is there anyone in my life that has offended me? And that I'm offended towards. God, is there anyone who's hurt me? And I'm still holding on to that hurt. So with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, and I'm going to ask you right now, just to raise your hand. Is there anyone here today that says there's still somebody in my life that I have not forgave? There's several of us in this very room right this very minute. What are you waiting for? It's, I know that it's the hardest thing to do, but Jesus told the disciples, if you have the faith just the size of a mustard seed, just that little amount of faith, you have enough faith to trust God with them. 
Turn that over and let it go. To forgive means to cancel, to let it go. Just like Jesus let go all of your offenses, it's time today, this moment, to let go of those offenses. And I want you to also think this before we open this altar, just one more moment. Is there anyone you've offended? Is there anyone right now that you know you've wronged? How many of you would be bold enough to say, I've hurt some people and I know it? Maybe we need to make that right this afternoon. Maybe there's a couple of phone calls that are needed. Maybe there's some apologies from your side. And maybe you need to understand this. You have enough faith to apologize. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I was careless with my words. I'm sorry that I did this to you. Right now, over half of the church raised their hands saying that we're struggling with this very thing. I want to encourage you right now. You can come to the altar. You can stay where you're seated. But I'm going to ask you right now to use the faith that you have to forgive those offenses right now. Lay it down. Lay it down and don't take it back. Lay it down. Put it down. Put it down, leave it, don't ever take it back. You may have to get up. My wife taught me something about forgiveness. You may have to tell yourself every single day for the rest of your life, I already forgave that person. Because the enemy would love to try to say, no, you didn't. You say, yes, I already forgave them. I've already canceled the debt. I've already let it go. Right now, forgiveness is letting it go. It doesn't mean that the relationship's restored. It doesn't mean anything like that. What it means is that you are letting go of what you've been holding on to. Forgiveness is letting it go. I'm asking you today, let it go. Let it go so it doesn't hold on to you another 10 years, another 20 years. I'm, I'm asking you to let it go so it doesn't hold on to your children and your children's children. Let it go. Let it go. And you tell yourself every day, as many days as it takes, let it go. Maybe you need to forgive yourself today. Maybe today's the day you need to say, I forgive myself. Say it out loud. One of the things, if you're at the altar or you're sitting in your seats, I want you to, whether it's whispering it, I don't care how loud it is, but I want you to say it out loud. I forgive. And you say their name, you say it out loud. Don't hide this in that closet. I forgive forgive and you say their names we will do it together we will all say I forgive and then just everybody say the name and nobody will hear you ready I forgive here we go once we've forgiven ourselves once we've dealt with ourselves, now we can start making an amends to those we've hurt. Now we can start asking for others to forgive us as we've forgiven others.